Live from the Emerald City, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Welcome to episode 110 of Derailed Trains of Thoughts, your premier podcast on storytelling for the creator and the consumer. My name is Timothy Deal. My name is Nick Hayden. And we are coming to you from what looks like it used to be a pretty place. Yeah, it's there's no emeralds at all. No, I thought it was supposed to be all green here. I know, and like they got attacked or something. Uh, everything's in ruins. There's stone statues everywhere. I, mean, I think there's graffiti on that wall over there. I mean, dare I say we're not in Kansas anymore? Uh, I think that's fair. I'm not even sure where else we would be no. here. We haven't been in Kansas lately. I know Spider-Man. Spider-Man was. was. <laughs> At least in our last episode. Uh, what was that graffiti say there? Beware the wheelers. I, uh, okay. I, I don't think I want to have anything to do with whatever those guys are. I, let's find some, some crevice somewhere. And Yeah. I, I don't feel safe being out in the open here. I, I think I think it's a it's a wise thing. Here, I've got this key. I think this closet over here will be a nice safe place to record from. This is a city of a different color. Yes, indeed. Anyway, um, howdy, Nick. How's your summer going? Going well, going well. Well, I was on vacation mm-hmm. um, well, since last we recorded, which was nice and relaxing. You were kind of near my old stomping grounds in Virginia. Exactly. When I yep. heard you were at the Chesapeake Bay, I was like, oh, I felt so, suddenly kind of... Uh, not homesick, I guess, because I still live in where I grew up. But yeah, another another time nostalgic. Another time. Yep. It was good. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a nice getaway. Cool. So cool. what you been doing, Tim? Oh, wedding prep, that kind of stuff. Oh, exciting. Planning, uh, getting save the date cards out, all that good brouhaha. Maybe wheelers can help? Uh, I, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know. There's magical things here. We'll see. No, I mean, just I'm kind of peeping through this keyhole here. Those guys have got some weird fashion sense. Oh, I see. Yeah, let's let's not let's not bother them as much as we can help it. But speaking of weird, I think it's time for story school. So, for today's topic for story school, I thought it'd be fun to talk about the strangeness that can be found in certain stories. There are, what? Stories can be weird? Stories can be quite weird. And my title for this unofficially is The Weird, the Bizarre, and the Ugly. I also kind of consider those as sort of categories in a sense. Okay, so talk through me about weird then. Let's start with our first one. All right. Well, I guess you should also say what I think is interesting about having strangeness and weirdness in stories is that there's kind of this this scale of attractiveness to stories that, fi- that with weird stuff that we find really interesting, but then there's also stories with that have this kind of strange stuff that kind of repels us like I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah, that's just it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. So, for my first category weird, which is a little bit nebulous. I realize weird is probably not the best word for this um, because you could call any of these categories weird. Weird. Like, like, oh, my brother's so weird too. Man, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> exactly. So maybe this first one. So is- like, sorry. so like, is Ragnarok weird? I would say Ragnarok is weird in yes this first category which I would call find the most on the top of the scale of the attractiveness this is almost maybe a better word for this would be oddball oddball okay okay so this is the endearing kind of weird it's like the when you have a friend or a sibling that's just kind of eccentric kind of out there you know Gonzo the Great is considered a weirdo because he like enjoys tap dancing and tapioca and thumbtacks. Yeah, exactly. Things like... Tacky things. things. Yeah, t- <laughs> ta- yeah, well done. Uh, <laughs> or do he, some of his acts involve, like, eating a tire to the tune of uh, Flight of the Bumblebee. You know, these are act- actual things Gonzo has yeah, done. Yeah, and it's weird, but it's good. Yeah, we, we love him for it. I would also include, like, off-kilter humor, things that are kind of zany, like... Homestar Runner, like we've talked about, is random, but sometimes it's also kind of weird in that lovable way. Yeah, it's like it has a consistency to its weirdness so that it becomes familiar. Right, right. It's just totally like it just kind of draws you a little over the line, just a bit over the line. <laughs> Whether it's uh, a whale shaped uh, drive up window <laughs> thing. Send your leg, please, Christy. Or uh, the 
odd comic book uh, violence of Teen Girl Squad. <laughs> Arrowed! <laughs> Final four! <laughs> oh, Teen Girl Squad. And add all these things on top of each other. Sometimes, like, I remember when one of Strong Bad making fun of someone's Halloween costumes as Krat Stuntman. And he's like, let me get this straight how you'd explain this. Like, you're you're being the, the made-up voice of this made-up cartoon show from this cartoon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> made-up voice actor. <laughs> so that's the oddball category. And pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. I mean, oddball, but I'm sure you can think of many examples. And they tend to be relatively safe in the sense, I guess, of almost like, um, they're not transgressive in any way. No, no. They're just like a little farther than people might, but they're like, oh, that's funny, or that's weird, or I thought about that, but never did it. Yeah, cartoons are really thrive in this era, you know, whether it's Looney Tunes mm-hmm. uh, or Phineas and Ferb. We were yep. just talking about some of the great oh, episodes so, about Meep. The, Meep is amazing. The, the alien that lives on a planet that thrives on cuteness, and uh, there was this the one, one of those great episodes where like, uh, they were seeking, cu- uh, what is it called? Some cute formula that, like, if uh, someone ingests this, they become so cute that everyone will bow, bow to their down will. to them. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and and it's just one of those like you build on this ridiculous idea and it becomes funny. So yeah, I think weird also happens when you have, especially in like speculative fiction shows or books, where it starts you know, kind of a normal trope, so they just kind of grow over time and get. Like I'm thinking in, in um, Agents of Shield, sometimes they'll be like, they'll say a sentence of like I never thought I would say something like you know it's like <laughs> yeah. it makes no sense if you've not watched seven seasons of this thing, uh-huh. and so it's weird to an outsider, but it's not weird to someone who's acclimated. Yes, indeed, and that's an interesting point that I'll, I want to bring in that will kind of become about this next category, okay. um, and I'll come back circle back around to that. So next category here is the bizarre. Now this is the kind of weird that can be fascinating or it can be scary. Okay, um, this is like your '80s fantasy movies, it, all '80s fantasy, most movies. '80s. Yeah. So you and I just recently watched because uh, we found this was on Netflix, something we had long meant to see. Yeah. Uh, based Plus, on, based Disney Plus. I'm yes. sorry, I don't know why I said Netflix. On Disney Plus, um, something that was based off a book that had some basis in American history. Um, Return to Oz. Return to Oz, which yeah. has always been like we had both had images of it from having never seen it. Yes, just from things we'd seen in previous. We're like that looks weird. Incidentally, side note: those of you who might have thought I was think- talking about some- something else that was recently on Disney Plus. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I've seen that, and I've seen Hamilton, and I think it's great, but Nick hasn't yet. I have not yet. But no, Return to Oz is something that we'd been meaning to, to see, because, yeah, you had seen a trailer for it. I had seen, like, a picture storybook I'd found in the library, yeah. and being like, what is this? I remember reading, as a kid, one of the Oz books. I don't remember. I think it's some sort of underground of Oz. And maybe I had to... Don't, the Scarecrow fell down a hole and became king of this underground. Anyways, but I remember thinking it was weird, even the book, as at a whatever age I was reading at lower school. And uh-huh. This is this lived up to that. And if you're not, you've never seen it, it's nominally a sequel to The Wizard of Oz, the famous movie. It's more a sequel to the book. Yeah, it's more a sequel to the book, but they do touch on things that were only in the movie, like the Ruby Slippers. Slippers yeah, um, but it's. It's not the a musical, and it's not. <laughs> it's not really kid friendly. No, if you if you thought the flying monkeys in Wizard of Oz were too scary, you're you're in for a bad time yeah. if you try to watch this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it goes it goes hardcore into the weird and dark. I mean, it's more like Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, some of it's we got heavy Tim Burton feels to it, even though this was really it was made before Tim Burton's time, 1985. Yeah, but not just Return to Oz. Yeah. 80s fantasy and movies Labyrinth, in general. Labyrinth. Dark never, Crystal. Never-ending story. Has this, like, very... Especially if you have vague memories of it and haven't seen it for a long time, then come back. It almost becomes like this... Like, for me, some of these have been almost like a, a haunting thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I remember talking about that back very infamously about Never-ending Story earlier on in this yeah. podcast. Sometimes it, it, like, gets under your skin, but in this way that, like, but what was that weird thing I saw as a kid? And I think, in some ways, that's the strength of both weird and bizarre things, is that they shake up what we expect. Mm-hmm. Like, they they just tune some element of the storytelling up a couple notches more than we're used to. And sometimes, and sometimes it's very effective, and they... For good or ill, they tend to last in your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it really is. If if it's gotten to this level of 
strangeness, bizarreness, you really do get the sense of visiting another world mm-hmm. when you're in it. It's a so in that sense, it's it's an escapism, but it's also this. It brings up this curiosity, and you trying to figure out what is this world? What are the rules here? Why do they? Why do the creators make these bizarre decisions in making this? I place? mean, that's how I feel about when I think about Brazil, the movie by uh, Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. Really good movie, but very, very strange and some, some very icon, very um, visually interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and the trick with these things is that different people will have different levels mm-hmm. of comfortableness with this, different tolerances. There are commercials that are bizarre. Sometimes, like in this <laughs> dangerous way. Have you ever watched Little Baby's Ice Cream? <laughs> yes, I remember that one. So we do this, we show this to the youth sometime. It's our kind of a initiation thing. Okay. And some of them are like, oh, that was great. And a lot of them, they'll come back and be like, what did we just see? Like, they're like, I can't get that out of my head now. Sort of weird. You have to look it up on YouTube, listeners, if you've never seen it. Um, Little Baby's Ice Cream. We, we would caution you not to uh, show it to small children. Yes. I might traumatize some. But... Play at night. Don't do it. <laughs> but it is an experience. It, it is. And that's the thing. The movies that can push that art and experience, sometimes not good experiences. <laughs> and that's the danger. Right. There's a whole category on the internet called nightmare fuel. Mm. That, that's when it's, when you see it at maybe too young an age and you're like, nope, I nev- never want to have anything to do with that again. And honestly, there's some movies like uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. I, I will agree with that. I saw that at, I don't know, six years old. And the funny thing is, I don't really remember being scared at the time, at least not terrified, like, some other things I may have seen. Like, I remember trailers for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids used to give me nightmares. Oh, really? Like, it was, I remember specifically, there, like, there's a shot of, like, the kids in, like, Cheerios. Yeah. And I think there's mm-hmm. a shot of, like, him going down the throat. Oh, terrifying. Really? Oh, see, that one didn't affect me, but, uh, but, um... Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. You know, I, I remember, like, I don't remember being terrified while watching it, but afterwards processing it, I was like, that was messed up. I think the first time, and again, it was kind of my intro into a lot of anime slash Mizaki. First time, one of the first ones I saw was like Prince Mononoke and then Spirit Away. Spirit Away is, No Face is yeah. something else. No. I mean, a lot of that movie is, but especially No Face for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember Spirited Away being like completely tripped out toward the end of that. I, I think I had seen, <laughs> this will be funny. I think I saw some of Prince Mononoke, but I actually wound up falling asleep. Okay, because it, it had some very quiet, like peaceful moments yeah. kind of in the middle, and it was late enough at night. But Spirited Away was, what is this? And I, and I love that movie now, but like, first oh, yeah. time, and I loved it even after. But it was just like there were things that just didn't go away right away. Yeah, and and I think I think I enjoyed Spirited Away because it was. Freshman year of college was a very interesting time in terms of like, it was very much this first, you're outside of your parents' house. Mm -hmm. I'm not the kind of, I'm going to go do dumb things like drinking or drugs, but like, man, there's a lot of interesting movies out there. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, It seems like in some ways, quote unquote, kids movies get this bizarre more often because for some reason they feel like they have like, like bizarre for adults tends to be like more horror stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, let's freak them out. Right, right. But, like, there's a lot more you can do with Bizarre than that. Yeah. And and kids, tend, especially cartoons, but not just cartoons, like the 80s fantasies, tend to want to, like, oh, we can be more fanciful. And mm. fanciful sometimes means unmoored from reality. <laughs> yeah. In, it, a, in, a, in, a, in a unique way. Like, you can stretch things differently. Yeah. Sometimes it, it can come across as, as whimsical, but sometimes it, like... You just take whimsical a little direction and it veers into insanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen... Uh, actually, I've never seen this movie either. I've just seen clips from it. There's this Raggedy Ann and Andy movie. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I don't... I have memories suddenly of seeing something like that. It so, was It was animated by... Oh, drat. I can't think of his name now. He's the guy who did... Remember I showed you some of The Thief and the Cobbler? Yes. And uh, Roger Rabbit. Oh, mm-hmm. dr- oh man. Ro- Roger Rabbit's one that got me as a kid. I, I can see that. That was one I didn't see until I was a freshman. And I was like, yeah, this would have freaked me out as a kid, mm-hmm. for sure. The end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the Christopher Lloyd character. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Another movie I have really have no interest in seeing again, the uh, Disney version of Alice in Wonderland. Oh, see, I, I like that now. It's funny because I know a lot of people say about Alice in any form. Uh-huh. Or let me say that differently. Alice's they have not been tamed by modern reinterpretations. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Because like there's this old, there's this old, it was like a PBS with a Jabberwocky and it was a cool dragon thing. Mm-hmm. But that, 
I still sticks in my head. I remember nothing else about it except that thing. I don't think I ever saw it because, like, I probably had already seen the Disney one. I'm like, mm, nope, I don't have anything to do with that. But when I showed my kids Alice in Wonderland, like, I loved it. Natasha's like, no, she like still doesn't <laughs> like it. But my my daughter Serenity's like, this is great. And so I'm, it, it, it's interesting how it, different people attack. Like Natasha is still too unmoored from reality. You know, uh, it just doesn't work. It goes too far. It goes too far. For me, it's like this is so creative and. You know, and I don't know, like, and I think people, have, like you said, have different tolerances, different amounts of interest in wanting to explore yes. those things. Yes, absolutely. Like my dad, for instance, very little tolerance for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm amazed we actually got and watched through all Lord of the Rings. Because, mm. <laughs> yep. I mean, he has a history of getting nightmares about things anyway. So yeah. like he just can't take... And he loves action movies, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but yeah. like to go too far into the fantasy or the surreal mm-hmm. and he's out. See, I like surreal... To a certain extent, I like magical realism. Playing with those kind of fantastical boundaries mm-hmm. makes sense to me. To a certain extent, like eighties fantasies are cool to me. Yeah, you know, and some people are like, "What is this?" <laughs> well, and I think it is one of those things that I think your tolerances for it can actually increase as time goes by. Mm-hmm. Like the more you watch Spirited Away or Miyazaki, you, you start understanding the rules or if not the rules, the way his mind works and the way this world works. And I think that's important because why it's so bizarre is because it seems unmoored from reality but once you understand where it's moored into reality mm-hmm. it doesn't bother you as much it's when things are like sometimes there's bizarre like um i'll just throw evangelion back in here sure but there's a bizarre that you can't make work out logically in your head sometimes mm. like like things you can't get the pieces to fit yeah and then it just bothers you it's just unsettling but if you can make the pieces fit, you can say, oh, this is this, you know, no face represents whatever. Right. And so and once you've hit that threshold of like, you, you understand the world, then I think sometimes the story drifts back from the, the bizarre into the oddball. Yes. So like, you know, the first time you may have seen Nightmare Before Christmas, you may have been, or I remember first time seeing trailers, like that is weird looking. Mm-hmm. But then later on, like when I was a teens librarian, the sort of teens that come to library for yeah. programs were all about Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. So it was like, okay, sure, we'll watch it for Halloween. And I, I could understand, I could appreciate it for what it was. It was kind of this quirky, goth, cool kind of heartfelt uh, yeah. story. It went from just being, man, that's weird to like, oh, okay, I kind of see you're my. It's my eccentric goth friend yeah. <laughs> of a story. And I wonder, I think some of the difference between like the bad bizarre to the good bizarre slash weird is also being able to be tonally consistent. Hmm. Like Oddball is like the whole movie feels consistently, like Ragnarok's consistently something. Well, some some <laughs> people will disagree, say it got too, went too far at this joke or whatever. Sure. But um, versus like it's inconsistently You mean weird. Thor Ragnarok. I suppose we should clarify I that. I should, yeah. Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. As opposed to movies that are like inconsistently weird, like they'll be kind of normal and then turn weird and then come oh, back, yeah. And like, then it becomes maybe even moves into ugly at that point. But you got lots of these. I've been watching some La Miserance Theater again, and mm-hmm. like some of these movies, they're just weird in a way that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> uh-huh. Versus, it's like what happens with Star Wars. We all love Star. Everyone loves Star Wars and Iron, but most people like the originals. Uh-huh. But when you look at it from the outside, it's like robots and this breathing guy and this. With it, I mean, it's weird. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because actually, I've been showing Janelle Star Wars because she knew some about Star Wars, but she'd never been a big fan. Yeah, and interestingly enough, her best friend was kind of in the same boat. Her best friend had got married recently, and her husband was going through Star Wars with her. So, (laughs) good husbands, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Educate your your, uh, loved ones on Star Wars, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's public service. But one thing that's Janelle had told her friend, Maria, she had mentioned that I had said that George Lucas kind of thinks of himself as avant-garde, and that kind of clicked with her. She's like, oh, that makes so much sense, because I was having a really hard time understanding why you would have all these weird alien races, and like she was really struggling to understand kind of the rules of okay, the world, yeah. essentially, and which is fascinating for you know a grown adult to not understand the rules of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. You you needed some sort of like entry point to understand mm-hmm. how all this fits. I suppose it's sort of like cultures in the yeah. sense that like you go to a foreign country country sometime, you're like, this is why are they acting so weird? Why are they why do they do this? Why do they do that? Why do they and it makes sense once you grok the culture. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, you're gonna have to. Exp- I know you've defined. I know it's just it's like the third. I just, time, I just like using the word "grog" to be clever, I guess. But 
No, it's like to fully understand, like to right. to get so well that you could like dream and like if you grok language, you could dream the language. Gotcha. But you so like fully immerse yourself in the. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, like what was weird, suddenly you have context for why it works and what it does, and mm-hmm. again, it might still be bad, right? But at least there's a understanding because the bizarre that's bad is when there's it separates. Fr- it's like the okay, like French is Schaefer. Has this? I don't know why I disobeyed Francis Schaeffer. Nice. Has this? Uh, you know, talking about that modern man has a two level of thinking. That like there's the rational, and then like they'll make these irrational jumps to believe certain things. Right. And I think weird stuff. Something has it seems irrational to a person, and we don't like something that's irrational mm-hmm. if we that we perceive irrational. So either we have to just accept it without knowing why, uh-huh. and it just makes us uncomfortable, or we fit it into categories that we understand. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, this bizarre level I was kind of counting as neutral ground in my in my scale because it can kind of be it can be attractive for some people it's unattractive. Yeah. If it's done poorly, I think that's w- w- where it becomes completely inscrutable. Yeah. That's more on the negative side of things. Mm-hmm. Um and sometimes that's just even a matter of like you feel like there's a deeper meaning there, but you have no idea what it is. I, I, yes, yes. I've had that in certain movies where you can, like, it just, I think you were trying to say something, but I don't get it, and it just, like, you were just, you, you pointed me to a, a animated short <laughs> yes. recently that I never heard of. Apparently, Walt Disney and Salvador Dali had worked together on this animated cartoon. Like, like what, six months or something like that? Something like that. Uh, I don't know how far they got based on... Apparently, the funding ran out, according to Disney+. Plus. This okay. is where I'm getting this information. And someone, they finished it recently? They finished it, well, back in 2003, 2006? A few years ago. But mm-hmm. it was his Walt's nephew, Roy, mm-hmm. who finally had it finished. And I was like, oh, that sounds intriguing. I took a look. I have no idea what that thing is about. I have no idea. Like, you get some ideas of love or beauty or something, but... It just, I watched Natasha, she's like, why did we watch this? Because I could kind of appreciate the art of it, uh-huh. but even then it's like, I don't have enough understanding. I think that's the other thing when it's, like, I think some people find Fantasia the same way. Fantasia? Yeah. Yeah. The story ones they don't have problems with, you know, like Sorcerer's Apprentice or like uh, Rhapsody in Blue, mm-hmm. but the more abstract it gets, the weirder it gets. Yeah. You know, interestingly enough... Even Fantasia 2000 starts off with the more abstract thing, but there, I remember that abstract opening had more of a story in it than the abstract opening of Fantasia mm-hmm. did. And I think, I, I think the one, one thing is like why I think some people, not everyone, there's going to be some purists who say, no, the fan, first original Fantasia is the best. Yeah. But Dan Povenmire, one of the creators of Phineas oh, and Ferb, yeah. has said he likes Fantasia 2000 more. And I think it is partly because each of the segments in that one has a much stronger narrative structure. Mm-hmm. I think when it's unmoored un- from narrative but feels like it has meaning, it's super frustrating. Yeah. Like there's parts of like the end of 2001. I'm, I'm sure there's meaning there. But for a lot of people are just like, what? First time you watch it, like, it's very unfulfilling. And I've never, I still have not seen 2001 for that very reason. I've heard enough about it from like both sides of like, eh, yeah, this is probably really, would really intrigue super artsy people. And I should probably watch it at some point just to have a better cinematic knowledge. Yeah. But I haven't felt in a rush to do it. <laughs> I, I think that any would make more sense now than it did the first time, having more experience and stuff. But mm. yeah. So yeah, the inscrutable is on the can be on the the low end of the attractiveness slash repelling scale of stranger. So getting down to the very last one, ugly. And this may be, again, even more of a personal thing. Did you have anything else you wanted to add in there? I, just for Inscrutable, I think, and again, I this is my blind spot, but H.P. Lovecraft, I think that's the whole horror is the sense that there's the inscrutable, you know, these unknowable gods doing things that you mm. can't can't stop. That is just is beyond your power to understand or, and that's bizarre to people, but also horrifying and that's good sometimes and... Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we've talked before, I don't have a huge penchant for horror in the first place, Yeah, but that's probably one reason why I've been, never been particularly interested in that, because like inscrutable gods just aren't that interesting yeah. when, when you know and believe in- In a, a scrutable. In a, in a, yeah, in a knowable god that has revealed himself revealed to us. Revealed god, yes. Yes. Okay, go ahead, sorry. So anyway, back to the, the last category I have, and on the bottom end of the repelling section, I'm calling ugly. Again, there may be differences of opinion here, but- for me, ugly is stuff that is untractive, sometimes purposefully mm-hmm. so. 
I've said before that I have a I'm very picky about cartoon animation styles. Yeah. Um, even sometimes kids stuff, if it if it's drawn in a way that I think is just really ugly and unattractive, I don't really have much interest. Like it may it may have really funny gags, it may have some funny story elements to it, but there's very few exceptions. I remember like uh when I was in high school, there was a Saturday morning cartoon called Science Court. It was just humorous enough. It was on ABC. Mm-hmm. It was just humorous enough, even though it had like wiggly lines and poorly drawn, you know, like mostly just talking mouths and there was very little other movement. Yeah. It was just entertaining enough and it was semi educational that eh, it, kept, you know, it was okay. But there's certain other things, whether it's made for adults or made for uh, kids. And, and I think for me, part of that is it's not just the fact that I like things to look nice. Yeah. But also, I feel like because animation is such a intimate art form, like the hand-drawn things, someone's purposely drawing the lines. You're creating everything that you see on screen. If you are making it a certain form of unattractive, to me, it's reflective about something in your worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think it actually hints at, a, at deeper things than just regular live-action film, TV can can yeah. do because it's like and. Again, there, there may be different tolerances for this. I mean, like I know my friend Greg, our friend Greg. Yeah, he tried to get me in Adventure Time, and I think Adventure Time ha- has its heart in the right place. It seems like it has great storytelling. It's a weird art style, though. Yeah. I could never quite get into it, and I don't know. Again, I'm sure not to say that it's bad or unwholesome or anything yeah. like that. In that case, it didn't seem to me from the little I saw of it. But it was just there was a certain weirdness to it that didn't really interest me yeah yeah purposeful ugliness is a strange choice in any case especially in an art style where you have control over making things look good yeah you know and again there may be i put a lot of caveats to this one because there's probably differences of opinion here i want to be like i remember uh when i worked at fort wayne library our children's librarian admitted she was a weird children's librarian that didn't really care that much for dr seuss I could I could understand it. They're weird drawings. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because because of that, or she just didn't grow up with it. But yeah, I don't know. There, there's a, there's a lot of possibilities for for why something looks interesting to one person and not so much to someone else. Mm-hmm. And and I think also like what you said. I guess you could also say maybe it's not purposely unattractive. Maybe it's just bad filmmaking. <laughs> no, that could be. <laughs> like in the case of like sometimes those MST3K. Movies are fascinating because they turned out so weird. Yeah, but then other times you're like, "This is there's something unpleasant about this." And, and the and like bad weird tends to be because something's out of sort that really shouldn't be out of sort, or like, mm. or they try to make something clever and they just didn't have the ability to do it, you know, mm. or the money or the acting or the writers or all <laughs> the above. Right. Um, I, and I think this happens. I think this is especially prone to happen with bad horror sometimes Mm -hmm. not only is there the sense of like they pulled off this bizarreness poorly but also there's this dark cynical something underneath it all like i remember that being kind of the like manos the hands of fate is hilarious at first because it's so boring but everyone gets mad at the ending because it gives you kind of this weird squicky feeling to what happened to the characters in it and i guess there's just a certain amount of like I think things become, become weird when you just don't know how to put it together. Like in movies where your editing's just, you have no sense of mm. the narrative connectives. Yeah. You know, like we said, and I, I, I never thought of this before we had this conversation, it does seem like the ability of you to tell a powerful narrative can lessen or make the weird work. Mm. Whether the narrative can hold it and ground it or not. And I think that's where like Alice Wonderland gets weird for people because the narrative is very piecemeal versus something like Spirited Away where there's a strong sense of connectivity to the various pieces. Right. And even in Spirited Away, even if you don't understand certain pieces like No Face, you can at least understand the the plight of Chihiro, yep. the main character, trying to rescue her parents, get mm-hmm. out of this weird place. There's at least a very thorough plot line to follow. Yeah. Even if it's set in a world that is way outside the norm, so I suppose I suppose weirdness is rude both in your narrative structure and then also just in your in like almost the cultural choices. Like we watched, um, what was the thing we watched with our friend Nathan? It was half anime and half models and oh the <laughs> I can't remember what it was and that, called. That weirdness is almost more just cultural choices versus you know you mixing anime and 
models uh-huh. versus anime. It was an anime slash Power Rangers sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And so the weirdness there is not so much that it didn't have a story. You could understand the story just fine. I mean, it wasn't super compelling, but you could right. understand it just fine. Uh-huh. But the fact that they threw these pieces that don't normally go together together and over the top and mm-hmm. I mean people find anime weird for that reason because they're not used to the basically the language of the over the topness of anime. Uh-huh. I was just thinking of uh there there is a student film I remember loving when I was at Regents mm-hmm. that's included these guys running around in these like brightly colored jumpsuits. Okay. And what what was great about it, I mean it was it was definitely in the oddball category yeah. here where it was just guys being silly. But what, but I remember what was great is it was a very it was entered in like our student film festival. And so many of the other student films had been trying to be these really deep artful things and started getting depressing after yeah. watching a bunch of these. And then this goofy thing comes on with guys running around the parks doing flips and <laughs> fighting off a sock puppet villain. <laughs> I think, do you show me that one? It sounds I, familiar now. I, yeah, I did show it to you a while ago. And it was such a breath of fresh air and just like this burst of new kind of creativity reminds us, yeah, it, it's good to be artful, but it, you know, it's also good to like be silly sometimes. I suppose that's the benefit of weird is that it, it adds a certain amount of flavor sometimes to what might be the whatever the norm is at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh well, this is a way to do stories. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, you yeah, know. it can really it can break new ground sometimes. I, I mean, I guess it's not just about creating a weird story environment. Sometimes, yeah, the the very structure of it can really throw someone off, and until you like. Wow, what was that? Let me let me watch that again. See how understand what's going on. What's the filmmakers doing here? It could be weird it could be you know weird time stuff like in Dunkirk. It could be weird visual things like in um, Speed Racer. Mm-hmm. You can do things that aren't full scale bizarre. That are just like I've not seen that before. Uh-huh. And and that's we like we like things that we haven't seen before, but we also like the familiar and that's the tension. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we've been focusing, we'll, we'll wrap this up here in a minute, but we've been fo- focusing a lot on visual stuff. Are there any books that you wanted to throw in here as examples of any of these categories? Oh, that's, I mean, obviously you get, especially some short stories in science fiction, whatever you can get some kind of weird, I thought, I don't know if I have anything that's super like, disconcerting because that's a little harder to get i think mm-hmm. because you just stop or it's slower you know do you there's a certain amount of rationality you need to write a story that's going to even make sense yeah that you can visuals you can get away with you can go more abstract and get some of that irrationality in i do remember reading the great glass elevator and thinking it was super weird when I was a kid. Because there were like <laughs> these snakes spelling out things in space and they were in this glass elevator. I mean, uh-huh. old doll can get kind of... Yeah. And I think some, you know, there's some Bradbury... There are some children's authors that they can do this, like Lemony Snicket. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess in some ways that's more oddball, the very eccentric characters. and But he does, he does do a good job of creating a... This is a re- really odd atmosphere in the places and the environments that the kids go to. I'm, I remember reading this book by Michael Moorcock recently. Oh, yeah, a couple years ago. It's a fancy, um, I wish I remember what it was called, Quorum's, the, I think it's a series of books on cor- for Quorum, but it's the first book. And there was a weird thing, and like, it's old fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this god, and he's like, has creatures all over him he's like this giant giant thing and they keeps changing and it was it was weird <laughs> and i think there are in some ways i think sometimes at the beginning of i think older fantasy older science fiction tends to do this sometimes more than what's been a little more popular you know there's a there's a way of doing things now mm-hmm that's true. And I guess there is, again, that cultural aspect to it. Some of the old fairy tales are mm-hmm. weird because, like, you don't really get you know, the context for why they would. You've talked about that before. You don't get the context of why they make some of the choices, why certain things happen in the, the stories. Or even, like, I don't know if you call it weird, but I'm sure some people would find it. Some of George McDonald's, like, Fantasties or Lilith, there's some unique scenes that I suppose people would find weird if you're not used to fantasy just mm-hmm. because it's a little surreal. And I imagine, yeah, it's surreal. I guess that there's probably, it gives off some of that aspect in maybe some horror or thriller books. Yeah, there's some odd scenes like that in Ted Decker. Um, yeah. There's scenes in, I don't know if you call it full weird, it'd be very literary weird, would be, there's scenes in um, The Sound of the Fury by Faulkner that are just mm-hmm. so 
abstract that you're just like, what in the world is going? But I'm not sure. I mean, it's kind of a literary version of it. You don't yeah. feel disquieted. You just feel like I wouldn't be. I'm su- unmoored from. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised though if there are other like scenes in books that delve deep into someone's psychology that mm-hmm. kind of give off the, that bizarre feeling. I'm sure some people reading some of Dostoevsky might get kind of like that. I think the best time you captured it was uh, Lady Lilith. Lilith. Oh, I'm Lady glad. Lillian, not, not from from not a girl Lillian. called Snort. Yeah, from a girl called. Well, Snort. I know you thought. Um, oh, what's it called? You've written some short stories. Some, some of my flash fiction is like the one with the 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 dream ship. Yeah, that comes down, and it's very surreal, magical realism stuff. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember the details of that one right now, but I do remember telling you about that. I was like, I don't know what you were on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I think I think the more symbolic you get like mm. revelation is this to a lot of people oh true like i was fifth grade i it scared me to death reading revelation because it's just so surreal so symbolic that it's you don't know what to make out you of don't it. make it and it's and it's frightening mm-hmm. without any connections and so i think i think literature can do it, especially in the, the apocalyptic stuff the more surreal stuff you don't usually get an entire novel that's that way yeah that that, that makes sense probably probably short form works better short form or Parts of novels. Scenes. Scenes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, anyway, we're going long here with Story School, but that's okay because there was a lot to, to dig. And I don't know, you could probably make an entire episode, maybe. Eh, I don't know. I think it'd be interesting to debate with someone the, like the levels merits, of stuff. The levels of stuff about whether ugly should really fall in that category or mm. whether that's just differences of an art taste. Yeah. I think there's lots of more room for discussion, but uh, something to think about when you're encountering something, some art piece of art that you really don't get, maybe it's a chance to experience something new. Mm-hmm. With that, let's go into soundtrack. Okay, I knew Nick would want to pick something, some weird music for soundtrack this I time. I never around. pick weird music. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so instead of that round, this the song is this remix is quirky. It's but weird to you, Tim, but not to me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, the the song the remix is quirky, but the game it's from is even quirkier, uh, weirder. This is a remix from Zelda: The Wand of Gamelion. Uh, one of the infamous Zelda games for the Philips CDI, which if you've never seen the, well, if you don't even know what the Philips CDI is, I don't blame you. Uh, <laughs> I didn't either until I was uh, became infamous on internet lore, but apparently it was this CD-based video game console educational thing that had a couple of Zelda games on it with really weird animation. Yes. It was not produced by Nintendo. I guess they were like Russian animators who did it. So maybe there's a cultural thing there. Yeah, Again, maybe. I, I don't know. But anyway, Sampo. Yeah. Anyway, so this is a remix from that game. It is called Only Link Can Do the Duck Walk. <laughs> Great title. Uh, it is by Lemon Lemonectric. Lemonectric. Very strange name, I guess. So it's fitting. Yes. <laughs> but hope you enjoy. Thank you. 
we're back. Hope you enjoyed that bouncy, uh, fun little song. Yeah, I can't do the duck walk, so well, but he can. Well, yeah, that's only Nick can, or <laughs> only Link can do it. <laughs> oh, uh, they'll practice that. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Nick, can you believe that it has been a year, about a year now, since our epic 100th podcast? Man, it seems like it was just yesterday. I mean, we were there a long time. We were there a long time. Somehow we were able to come back. We were there in the realm of derailed thoughts for years and years. years and yeah. We came back the same and, night we left. And unfortunately, most people don't. I mean, I've told my wife a lot of stories, but most people don't even know what went on with us. Yeah, there's a lot of stories that we haven't really talked about. Listeners, if you haven't heard our 100th episode, you should really check it it's out. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I'm super proud of that episode. But it is all about the an epic journey we went on through mm-hmm. the realm of derailed thoughts. Looking for the MacGuffin. Looking for a MacGuffin to, uh, so we could get home. But you know what? I think it's time, Nick, that we introduce a new segment where we, because uh, we did make some journals. You remember those journals? Oh, well, I kept a lot of journals. Yeah. So we actually have a lot of stories from that uh, really unique time of our lives. So we're going to share with you in this new segment called Journals from the Realm of Derailed Thoughts. Day 471. Oi, what a day. We're still making our way canoeing through the fjords of Mubblejub, looking for our next lead to obtain this mysterious MacGuffin we were told to find. It's been slow going because it's been ridiculously foggy, which makes it hard to tell sometimes if we're going straight or about to run into a cliff. To make it worse, we keep hearing snatches of our own voices, stuttering or stumbling for a word. It was creepy at first, but after the 20th time of hearing my own voice go, hmm, mm-hmm, well, you know, sure, yeah, sure, it's just like, yeah, nah, 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 that is interesting. It starts to get a little old. We did manage to find one of the towns nestled within the fjords of Mumblejub and tried to ask around about MacGuffin, but we couldn't understand a thing the residents here were saying. At least some of them were residents, maybe some were travelers like us, but most didn't speak anything resembling human language that I've ever heard of. A few that knew English didn't seem to use it in any way that made much sense. A couple of species I recognized included Ewoks, Pakmara, and those yip-yip-yip aliens. Since the latter at least spoke some English, I tried to ask them a few questions, but they were way too fascinated with the ear flaps on Nick's hat to be of any help. So we gave up and visited the local bar to drown our sorrows in root beer. We found a World War I flying ace there doing the same thing, though it seemed like he was also cursing someone called the Red Baron. Weird Kid sure had a big nose and was hard to understand with all his growling. Anyway, for some reason, I tried to lighten the mood by softly singing, You are my sunshine. But then this weird purple creature with giant eyebrows and a plant growing out of his head came up and screamed, Hoga Wugga, and started blasting me with smoke from his snout. I grabbed the nearest thing to shield myself from the blast, which unfortunately turned out to be a half-finished bowl of soup that I accidentally splashed on a nearby Wookiee. Yeah, as you can imagine, he wasn't happy. I might be dead now if one of the other customers, apparently a walking tree who kept proclaiming his name for some reason, hadn't stepped in to defend us in the ensuing bar fight. The bartender tried to control the chaos, but all I could make out from him was some weird trombone sounds. Anyway, long story short, when the fight started spilling into the streets, Nick and I made a hasty retreat back to our canoe to get out of town. We encountered one other creature on our way out, a short, stocky, white and blue thing with a bowler hat, who said something like, I'll be a hair-toting toe-weevil. I don't think I'm going to miss Mumblejub. So, yes. Oh, I remember that. I had a black eye for a long time after. Uh, my, my, yeah, my, my ribs are still sore thinking about that one. Yeah, that's not the worst day we had, but not the best by a long way. So. No, no, it was, it was an odd town. It was an odd town. But anyway, we're going to move on now into our next segments. Our take on Tales. All right, so Nick, do you want to go first? Sure. I've been rereading random books that are like school worthy because that's a thing I have to do now. Because you're getting ready for your uh, new teaching job. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like, I read Call of the Wild, which we mentioned some last episode. And then over vacation, well, I read Billy Bud. We'll talk about that in January. 
but also Fahrenheit 451, which is uh, Ray Bradbury, which is one of my favorite authors. And I'd read it ages ago, probably middle school. So I didn't remember much of it. And I started reading, I'm like, this is why Bradbury is awesome. No, but if you've not read Fahrenheit 451, what are you doing? Well, I'm recording a podcast right now, actually. Well, go stop, go read. No, but anyways, <laughs> if you don't know it at all, it's about this guy, Guy Montag, who's a fireman. And in this book, firemen burn books. That's what they do. They get called in whenever someone finds a book and they burn them. Called Fahrenheit 451 because that's the temperature at which books burn. But it's fascinating because it has a lot to do with Bradbury's love of books, of reading, of the necessity of taking time to not be distracted and to think about real things, have discussions with people. You know, because like his wife is just living from one distraction to another. She has three wall screens and she wants a fourth one so she can completely surround one and she watches her shows and she has these seashells she, she puts in her ears to listen to music while she sleeps. Uh, written in like 1950. Interesting. And I, I mean, there's so many things they talk about. They had this great conversation about the last presidential election and the entire point was that, well, so-and-so was the most handsome. Why wouldn't people vote for him? I mean, the entire process of voting for president was who basically appeared best on TV mm. um, in 1950. Um, That's wild because <laughs> there's there's a story. I'm only going to interrupt you here real quick. Go for it. There's a famous story, and uh, at least I learned about it as a media student back in undergrad, about, I think it was a presidential debate between JFK and Nixon. The people who listened to the debate on the radio thought that Nixon had won the debate because he had the best arguments. Mm -hmm. The people who watched it on TV thought that JFK had won because it was hot in the studio and so Nixon was sweating a lot. Um, whereas JFK came off as very cool and collected. It wasn't he wasn't wiping yeah. off sweat as much. So people watching it thought, which is very interesting, that just the difference between how the media mm -hmm. conveyed different messages depending on what people were paying attention to. And like he meets early on, he meets this girl who kind of you know she'll sit and walk in the dark or let or taste raindrops as they fall down or like she's connected to the world, the real world, and he's just. He just goes through life without thinking and burning books. And mm. it's interesting because the reason books got banned originally is first people stopped reading them and then they decided to ban them. Anyways, it's a fast, it's, all, it's pure Bradbury in the way he writes. In the, in the, Bradbury's interesting that he, and my version had like a coda and then like also a note, like two different notes from two different times from Bradbury. Mm-hmm. He mentioned that he'd probably written more stories about other authors than anyone else. He's written stories about <laughs> Poe, about Melville, about all kinds of, about, with other books. And I mean, he has, uh, in Martian Chronicles, this whole story where they rebuild the house, house of Usher, mm -hmm. from, you know, Fall of the House of Usher. So you can tell his love of books and his love of thinking and, and having conversations and it's okay. You know, we should be disagreeing and having these conversations, arguments. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a great book on, it's good classic science fiction. If you haven't read it, it's completely, it's still very applicable to today. It's interesting not having read it myself, which I know, shame on me. That's fine. There's a lot of books I haven't read. <laughs> but yeah, all in knowing about it has something to do about burning books. I had always assumed that it was something more about, I knew it was science fiction, but I, yeah. I figured the society had let people do that because of not liking what was in the books. Well, that's or, or, or kind of an anti-education sort of thing. I mean, yeah, that's it too, but the people stopped it. Like, everyone's just, they try to keep them busy with, with sports and video and anything that doesn't take any thought. So there uh, is a lot of that. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of different threads to it. It's not like one thing. One answer is because, this is what's causing this. Okay. Because it, they say that, yeah, the government wanted to do that, but it already kind of started from the people already going that way. Mm. <laughs> Politics being downstream of culture. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yep. And there's a war that's going on. No one even cares because they got their shows. Oh, man, that's... <laughs> Yeah, this was all sounding eerily familiar. And there's some nuclear war stuff in there because it's that time, of, you well, know. Yeah. But it's interesting because one of the firemen also used he he could quote books a lot. He'd read a number of them, but he he burned them. And he loved. He thought because he's like this book says this. This book says something else. They just argue each other. Let's just, it doesn't matter. It's all lies. Let's get mm. rid of them all. So it's it's still very applicable and. Bradbury just does such a great. He's so he's very poetic in the way he writes things. Anyways, mm -hmm. 
And so if you've not read Bradbury, it's certainly a very easy, it's probably one of the easier ways to get into Bradbury. I mean, unless you want a short story, then any of them will work. But but it, it seems to be the one, at least for a while, it seemed to be the one that most high schools were reading. I mean, it's certainly in the, in the vein of Brave New World 1984, but without being quite as bleak. Okay. Bradbury just has never, can't ever come off quite as bleak. I think it's just his personality. Okay. Yeah, because at the end, he finds a group of people where they've each memorized one book. And when the war is over, they're going to help people, you know, share what was in the books again. And they say, and the books may not help us avoid it again, but it can't hurt having the knowledge that other people have had before. Mm-hmm. So it's, the end's also a little disappointing from a Christian point of view, but there's certainly this sort of like, eventually we'll get there, but we just keep making the same mistakes, which is true, but also not real certain. Mm-hmm. Now, had you read this before? Like middle school, I, oh, I okay. remember very little besides... I don't remember liking it as much the first time, probably because I just didn't have the context to. Sure, sure. To, nowadays, I'm like, yeah, that's still true, and yeah, that's true. Like, speaking of, uh, the wife, you know, she's watching her shows all the time, listening to music and talk shows all the time on her ear, her ear shells. But early on, she basically overdoses on drugs, on sleeping pills, mm-hmm. and she doesn't even remember it. So there's a sense that she really was very depressed, but she didn't even let herself realize it. Oh. I mean, you've got this opioid... Yeah. thing going on right now. I mean, it's a lot of the same. It rhymes with stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's certainly, and it's, and it's just a well-written book. Great. All right. Well, there's your classic book from Nick Hayden. Yes. And now for an animated series from little me. <laughs> oh, I want, no, I'm interested in this because I had been thinking about watching it. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Gravity Falls, which was a darling of the internet in some of the internet community for uh, a few years ago. Uh, it was a show that was on Disney Channel. I think originally Disney Channel, then moved to Disney Plus or Disney XD. Mm-hmm. Now it's on Disney Plus, which is how I finally got a chance to see it. And I knew it was very popular. It was one of these shows that had a big cult following because they very purposely had mysteries and like codes hidden in the background and which in the credits, cool to me. which is pretty fun. So the basic concept of Gravity Falls, if you're not familiar with it, a pair of twins, Dipper and Mabel, boy and girl, they've been sent by their parents to live with their great uncle Stan. So they call him Grunkle Stan, uh, <laughs> who who runs the Mystery Shack, which is basically kind of a uh, a cheap Ripley's, believe it or not, knockoff okay. tourist attraction place in a town called Gravity Falls, somewhere in the forests of Oregon. It's a town where there's a lot of paranormal sorts of activities happen. And I think in the first episode, Dipper finds a journal that helps him kind of guide him through to find some of the weird things. And in the big mystery for a lot of the a lot of the show, initial part of the show at least, is who wrote this journal and what does it all mean and things like that. So it's a fun show. It took a little bit of warming up for me. Um, in terms of art style, it was like right on the border for like there. Oh, I, I like the main characters a lot. The main characters relationships are surprisingly sweet. They, they get the, the sibling dynamic really well. I guess the creator of the show was a twin himself okay, or is a twin himself. But so he knows exactly what growing up like that was like. And I think he based a lot off a lot off of uh, his relationship with his twin sister. So that's that's fun. The, the mysteries are fun, but honestly, the first season takes it takes a while. That they it's one of these shows that like builds on a lot of the things you a lot of the a lot of characters from the town, the townspeople you'll see in subsequent okay. episodes, and you know they get a little bit more added to them here and there. Um, but it's, in terms of like the ongoing mystery plot, it's very sporadic in the first season, primarily beginning to the end. The second season goes hardcore into the okay. story. I mean, this still has some like side, you could call them filler, but they're still fun and relevant to ca- character growth yeah. kind of episodes. But the, but there's a lot of, a lot more plot uh, with capital P in the, yeah. in the second season, only two seasons because the, the creator felt like that was the show. You had a very set number of mysteries in it and that at least ones that they were going to explore. Yeah. And once those are taken care of, it's end of the summer, end of the show, um, which I respect. Were the mysteries satisfying? Yes, I would. Okay. I would say so. Now, I I had heard a few things about them going in. So, it, I mean, it, but if you're not, I think that's mostly because uh, having followed Laura on Tumblr, okay. I had heard vague rumors about certain things. Um, but if you haven't heard those, I think you'd feel, still find them surprising. Um, I don't know though. If I was a parent, though, I'd be a lot more cautious about showing it to my kids. Okay. 
I got the vibe sometimes that I was watching a cartoon that was made for kids who are allowed to watch horror movies too young. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just every now and then, like, I remember there was, there was one scene at a mansion where, like, there was a room with lots of taxidermy and all of a sudden like the animals were all like having blood coming out of their okay, eyes yeah things yeah, like that's that fun stuff yeah certain kids would would and i guess i was a little confused like i didn't know for sure what age the, the twins are supposed to be it turns out i think they're like 12 okay which that, that makes it a little bit more understand it's like okay yeah 12 year old yeah sure and again depending on the family see my family was never like into goosebumps yeah reading that kind of stuff yeah we just we our family just didn't do that kind of thing mm-hmm. i imagine Families who did teens and preteens and whatnot, that this would be up their alley. Yeah. The other parent thing I would be cautious of, there's one of the the employees of the Mystery Shack. Her name is Wendy, and she's she's one of these like cool, rebellious teens. I mean, she's a fun character. She she hangs out with the kids and she's nice and and sweet and that kind of stuff. But she also like is the kind that would like think graffiti on a in the school bus is cool. Yeah. And tries a shuffle off work as much as she can. So if I was very like, I don't really want my kids to emulate that, you know, I I would have some second thoughts about that sort of character too. (laughs) Well, and the, the Grunkle himself, I mean, the whole mystery shack is kind of, Mm, kind of a scam sleazeball sort of thing, but, but they play that up for laughs. Yeah. So I, I could see some people like, he's teaching his kids how to do counterfeiting. I'm not sure. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little questionable, but but again, they make fun. Like there's a great line where they're like going, the, the twins are going to go investigate some mystery in town. I think a possible murder plot. And he's like, that sounds, sounds like something a parent would be very much against. Good thing I'm an uncle. <laughs> and as an uncle, I can appreciate that. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, but overall, it's a fun show. Um, if you want to go in for the mysteries, know it may take a little while to get to the meat of it. Um, and like I said, in art style, some of the townsfolk were just crazy enough. I was like, eh, this is really kind of on the border of like the kind of art style I appreciate. I might not have gone on with it because I wasn't watching it with someone. Mm-hmm. Um but if you stick through it enough, I think I think you'll find some really cool moments in there. Nice. So, anyway, I think that's all we got for our take on tales today. Now, um, if you may be wondering about our standard summer movie roundup, we've watched lots of summer movies. Well, no. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, we really miss going to the movie theater. So instead of our normal summer, since there haven't been any new movies to go out and see, next time. Hopefully we get in that in August, so it still counts as a summer movie yeah. <laughs> review. We'll do a previously on talk about talk about movie theater experiences that we really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you can look forward to. Um, other than that, I think that's all we got for today. Yeah, well, I'm not sure I want to leave. Oh there's yeah, this, there's this guy in the corner. Well, not guy, like a robot. Maybe. I'm not really sure. He kind of reminds me of like a Victorian uh, R2D2 or something. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to try to wind him up if you're. After we get done with this, sure, happens. Sure, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take anything we can get. In this yeah, place. exactly. This place yeah. is crazy. I heard like that. There's a castle over there, and I feel like I heard lots of women screaming in, for some reason. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure this place is as safe as it used to be. No, I don't. I get that feeling too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up here with some contact info. Nick, what is our email address? Uh, it is derilledtrains at gmail dot com. Uh, feel free to leave us questions or suggestions. Or there you can send us either a written or a video or an audio response to like, give us a story of a weird movie that you remember seeing that just never left you. Yeah. We'd love to just hear your, your childhood scarring story. <laughs> Whether it's it's something that you wound up visiting later and really appreciating or like you've been too scared to even like approach again. Yeah. So we'd love to hear it. Cherish your trauma. Yeah, we, we love trauma. <laughs> that sounds terrible. It is terrible. But you can, either, <laughs> you can either email us or leave us a comment at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. And, of course, we are available on iTunes or, as it's called now, Apple Podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, Stitcher, and Spotify. Oh, and you can leave us a review at any of those places. Yes, we always enjoy reviews. I, su- I assume Spotify does reviews or ratings or something like that sure any of those things would help and just share tell your friends if you like an episode uh share it and hopefully we won't traumatize them nope not much (laughs) all right nick what's your soundtrack well i'm pretty sure uh the default was going to go pick a maze dude but they're not weird 
It depends on which one you're talking about. See, I'm so used to them now. Like they're just they're oh, they're a great song. I mean, like literally, I'm like, well, is this weird? Still, I could after all the other ones they picked. Uh, um, are they? Is it just oddball now? It's just oddball now, you know. <laughs> okay, so or, but you wanted to go into the realm of bizarre or something like. Or I want to try something different. So um, the, they had a Final Fantasy II album called Rebellion, and there was a song in there called The Final One, W-O-N, remixed by Sir Jordanius, and it's a little different. The beginning is especially bizarre, and then it gets a little more, well, a little less bizarre, I guess. But anyways, it's probably up my alley and maybe not yours. Um, <laughs> it was, it was certainly unique. It, yeah. Yes, Unique. See, if you hadn't already picked the rules of the road, I could have just done that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I couldn't sit on that one. Long. And there's, I had some six-minute ones. Like that. Now, but this, anyways. You know, is this Final Fantasy 2, or is this specifically from like the re-release of Final Fantasy 2? I'm actually confused, because it's... it's because it's list, the, the it's, album, remix album is just Final Fantasy 2. It's from. Yeah, but on the OC Remix website, they listed it as part of Final Fantasy One and Two: Dawn of Souls, which I assume is some sort of oh yeah, like That's a two thousand yes, yeah, two thousand four DS re release. So I don't honestly know. Okay, I was just curious. I guess even if it's from the remake, it's still it's probably not Final original Fantasy music, too. Yeah. yeah. So okay, well, thanks for listening, folks. I hope we didn't weird you out too much. And uh, well, I guess we haven't done Nick's song yet. So not yet. the cat's still in the bag. Anyway, thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Adios.
going in. So let's begin to face the end. Congratulations. You won.